This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to The Business of Healthcare. Here again is Jeff Voigt. So welcome back. This is The Business of Healthcare on Sirius XM 111. Today we're talking about dual eligible population, the Medicare and Medicaid population, which is um, consuming a significant amount of our health care costs or resources to the tune of about $350 million per year. First half of the show, we talked about um, really the policy that's being implemented at the, at the governmental level and a recently passed act called the Chronic Care Act, which helps support uh, this particular population. Second half of the hour, we're going to talk with a couple of health care plans that are doing some really innovative things around working with this patient population. And I'd like to introduce my guests. Uh, and if you would like to call in, have a question, it's one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So um, my guests for the second half of the hour, or half hour, are Kevin Park, MD. Dr. Park is the Chief Medical Officer for Care Wisconsin. Prior to Care Wisconsin, Dr. Park served as a national medical director for a special needs health care plan organization that served 13 major markets. He's, a, he's board certified in internal medicine, a Harvard Medical School graduate, and magna cum laude graduate of Harvard College, and an editorial board member for the Journal of Healthcare Quality and a nationally recognized expert on medication adherence. Dr. Park, welcome. Thank you. And my next guest is uh, John Lovelace. John is president of government programs at UPMC Individual Advantage and president of UPMC for You, a managed care organization that serves medical assistance and Medicare Advantage special needs plans, special need plan recipients in 40 counties in Pennsylvania. John is also chief program officer at Community Care Behavioral Health Organization, a behavioral health uh, managed care organization that is part of the UPMC. University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Insurance Services Division. Uh, Community care provides behavioral health coverage for more than 900,000 Medicaid beneficiaries in 36 Pennsylvania counties, as well as care coordination services in New York State. John, welcome. Thank you. So um, let's talk a little bit about um, each of your particular um, plans itself. Kevin, if you can start and tell me a little bit about Care Wisconsin and what you're doing there. Yes. Uh, So Care Wisconsin uh, originally started in 1976 as um, in Madison, Wisconsin, as the region's first adult day care center. And over the next uh, several decades, uh, grew to uh, serve uh, the frail elder population and then uh, people with disabilities in 2005, we became a health maintenance organization, or HMO, and right now, um, in 2018, we serve uh, 12,000 individuals, all uh, with some kind of uh, challenge. Um, They are either um, elders with frailty um, or individuals with multiple chronic medical conditions or individuals with some kind of intellectual or um, uh, mental or physical disability. Mm -hmm. And because they all have some kind of challenge, um, we specialize in that, and therefore we 
Um, we serve um, people with the kinds of challenges that were described in the first half of your show. Right. And, and where do you typically care for these uh, patients? Is it in the home? Is it in, in um, other types of uh, care uh, settings? Uh, most of them are in the home because mm. um, here in Wisconsin, uh, there was over the last decade, a decade and a half, um, a major effort to uh, um, to move uh, these individuals uh, away from the nursing home setting. So, uh, do you find your state is unique in that regard? Uh, it is. It is um, fairly exceptional, meaning meaning our level of nursing home um, placement is lower than the national average. And, and is it saving money ultimately having them in the home? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, we, you know, we do have some unique programs where we will um, sometimes staff at, uh, you know, have programs where we have uh, 24-hour care um, for individuals, but, obvi- but obviously that is more cost-effective than than having someone in a nursing home long-term. Very good. So, John, tell me a little bit about UPMC, and and I know you're president of a couple of different organizations there. You wear a number of different hats, it sounds. I I do. So UPMC (laughs) is a large sort of actually global health enterprise. We have four major divisions. Um, Insurance is one. Health services is a second. There's an international division and an enterprises division, which is kind of the technology advancement part of UPMC. Mm In the insurance division, we have a whole suite of insurance products, including health insurance as well as supplemental insurances, and about 3.2 million members overall. Of those 3.2 million members, about 175,000 are Medicare Advantage enrollees, uh, and of that group, about 26,000 are in the dual special needs plan that's Medicare Advantage, which we've had since 2006. So. Yeah, and, it, uh, it, we also have a small. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like that's one of the bigger programs in the United States. Is that right? Yes, it's on the large side of as, as yeah. dual SNPs go. Yes. Oh, very good. Yeah. And uh, we're happy actually to be a four-star dual SNP, which is also a rarity. To be uh, at the upper end of the quality spectrum as well. Wow, very good. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the, the care coordination of uh, and 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 help me understand. And, and I'm going to ask you to generalize here, and it's uh, and I'm sorry to do this, but. You, you have, um, and I'll start with you, uh, Kevin, about uh, Care Wisconsin. You have a patient who's transitioning from, uh, you know, let's call it a more expensive care setting into the home. What are you doing? Uh, how are you getting that patient into the home? And um, what, what um, are, are you having challenges with the integration of, 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 of getting you know, care from one setting to the next? Or, or, or have you kind of figured that out? Help me understand that. Yes. So, so we have on our team typically uh, both a nurse and then a care manager, often who is knowledgeable about what was described as the social determinants, uh, how to get an individual access to uh, financial supports, uh, nutrition, housing, uh, those kinds of, of social services. Mm-hmm. And even though we may not have contracts with those um, agencies, some sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, uh, they know how to um, get the individual access to uh, either free services or uh, governmental services. And the, the, um, the care managers, case managers, will do an assessment figure out what the medical and social needs are, and then do an inventory and a plan 
and then then over the next uh, one to six months, then implement the plan uh, with the member, with the individual, and with with the medical team and other other agencies to get the individual the services that they need. So, so the case manager oversees all of this. How many? How many? Um, I'm, I'm going to call them enrollees or patients. Do they see at a time? How many can they handle? Yes. Well, that varies by program, but uh, to take one specific program that that I oversee, uh, it's typically for two uh, two case managers, uh, a caseload of one to fifty five. One to fifty five people. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So, so there's a range. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. and and that can vary. So, uh-huh. um, it can be as high as one to eighty. Oh, okay, very good. Um, and and John, tell me a little bit about um, how you're integrating care from one expensive setting to the to the less expensive. Let's call it the home. Oh, well, a couple of ways. This 2018 is the kickoff of Pennsylvania's move into managed long-term services and supports, which we have a contract for. It's Medicaid funding for. Um, community-based services and long-term stay nursing homes. It's built on, in Pennsylvania, a dual special needs plan platform. So we have, for some of our enrollees, we have Medicare responsibility as well as the Medicaid responsibility. So as Cheryl was talking about in the first half, the ability to align um, the Medicare and the Medicaid funding. A big thrust in this process is to both um, divert people from nursing, long-term stay nursing home placements, and for those people who are in nursing homes and would like to leave, to help people make a transition back into the community. And we have funding and responsibility to do both of those things. Um, 95, in surveys, 95% of people um, have no interest in ending their life in a nursing home. Yeah. Um, but they do. Um, many people do because there isn't an option. And the ability, I think, to work quickly with, we have a health system, um, which is part of our general structure. The ability to work more clever, closely aligned with the health system, with the Medicare funding, which pays for acute care, and the long-term funding, we can be much more effective around acting quickly, assessing needs comprehensively, and developing supportive treatment plans for people, um, treatment and, and supportive service plans for people in the community. There's so, quite a difference in PA between you know, in rural Pennsylvania, 80% of people who are nursing home eligible are in nursing homes. In the southeast, in Philadelphia area, it's only about 20% are in nursing homes. Oh, because cool. of resource development. Uh huh. So, um, help me understand. So, I'm assuming there's some kind of a you know you have a case manager, but do you have people involved from the family, and how do you involve them in the process of care, and and, and what, what are what are their responsibilities, and do they feel re- do they feel relieved? Because it sounds like they they may have this responsibility at least initially that they have all these resources for them. Uh, John, I'll start with you, and then I'll ask Kevin. So, John, please. Well, caregiver support is certainly critical to everything we do. There's many people who, even when they're not nursing home eligible, are able to be successful because they have family support. So assuming the the, consum- the member is willing, um, then we try to, and the family member is willing, we want to involve family members in planning transitions of care from inpatient to home, mm-hmm. in planning the services in the home, and planning for home care, and making sure those, those services are all aligned. Some families are relieved to have help. Some families are desperate for help. Um, and some families don't want it at all. So it's like everything else. There's a pretty big range of what people want and what works for them. Right, uh, Kevin, uh, help me understand how you're dealing with the, the family caregiver itself, themselves. Yeah. So in two ways. One is 
Um, if the family uh, needs support, uh, we can actually put in what's called supportive home care and actually, um, if, actually have um, individuals come in to help the individual with cooking, cleaning, um, paying bills, et cetera, and we can actually allocate hours uh, to do those tasks on behalf of the individual and their family. Mm -hmm. The other thing we can do is, and this is true in, in some states uh, in the United States, we can actually um, have the uh, caregiver or friends of the individual who is uh, a member of, of our organization, we can actually uh, pay them a wage uh, to become a, a self-directed support of the individual. Right. And then they can do uh, work on behalf of the individual to, uh, for example, pay the bills, mow the lawn, uh, clear snow, um, off the driveway or or the sidewalks, et cetera. So that's all social determinants of health, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah, yeah interesting. Um, so uh, in, in general, um, when you're discharging these people to their home, which they prefer to be at, are they, are they alone or are they typically with somebody else uh, as they're going through their daily activities? John? You know, I think it's, kind of a, it's probably reasonably evenly split. A lot of people are alone. Um, yeah. People are older, and their families may have you know, moved away, their spouse has died, but there are a lot of people who are with or close to families as well. So right. the people who use a lot of the personal care assistance, the sort of the bathing, the dressing, the shopping, the snow shoveling, um, I think probably are a little bit more alone than people who, who have other sports around them. Yeah. Uh, Kevin? Yes, um, I would agree. So um, we do have a significant problem with social isolation. And, and so for those people, uh, we actually may have uh, someone come in to visit them on uh, regular intervals. But then we also have a very large group of individuals who do have uh, many family around, and yet um, they need, they need uh, supports in addition to having family because their family may have their own lives to live. So is a behavioral health uh, person in, involved also in kind of the care? Sometimes if it's social isolation, is that um, that's, that's probably one of the offerings I would guess. Is, is that right? Part of your programs? Yes? Yeah, yes, it definitely is right. As, as Cheryl said earlier, I think, in the first half, that in our special needs population, the, um, about 60% of the enrollees are not seniors. They're people under, you know, adults with disabilities, yeah. and that group particularly very heavily influenced by both substance use disorder issues and mental health issues, in addition to other chronic medical conditions. Yeah, and, and Kevin's is also a key part of it. Yeah, Kevin, the same? With, yeah, with yeah, so so one of the challenges we have is um, in, our, in, in some of our areas, we have uh, limited access to uh, licensed care here, so we have to supplement um, uh, some of our individuals care with uh, peer groups and and just um, you know potentially non-licensed individuals who are just there to to help the individual um, you know just interact with with people in the community. Mm -hmm. So I'm Jeff Foyt, and you're listening to Business of Healthcare today. We're talking about dual eligibles, uh, Medicare and Medicaid eligible population which uh, consume a significant amount of our healthcare resources in the United States. And I'm talking with uh, two uh, uh, plans that actually are working with them rather successfully, Care Wisconsin, with Kevin Park, and then UPMC. Um, 
uh, John, it's UPMC Dual for You, or is it Dual for Life? Is is that uh... <laughs> the uh, special needs plan is called UPMC for Life Dual? <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Yeah, so right words, wrong order. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. So, and, and John Lovelace, who is, is president of the government programs at UPMC uh, Medical Center. Um, so, how do you guys know? that you're being successful i mean what 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 are you measuring and 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 um from a bottom line standpoint you know from a dollars and cents standpoint how do you know that uh, this is actually working uh john i'm going to ask you first there are two key things that pop to mind one is is satisfaction Mm -hmm. family satisfaction consumer satisfaction provider satisfaction is this working better is this helping you that sort of sort of there's some formal measures of satisfaction as well as informal ones for providers and for consumers and for families. That's sort of one big element. Um, we have an advisory committees uh, around these programs. The advisory are consumer or members of the plan who, who wish to share their feelings. That's a source of more informal kind of anecdotal communication. Uh, and in terms of metrics, we're measuring um, quality measures, the standard um, national committee and quality assurance measures around quality, as well as the ratio of planned to unplanned health care. The unplanned healthcare being unnecessary emergency visits, crisis services, detoxes. The people with chronic conditions, we hope when things are going well, um, they may use a lot of healthcare, but it's it's planned as part of a treatment plan. When people are using things like ERs a lot, um, that's an indication that their healthcare is not being managed very well. So those are key metrics for us. Right. Well, let's talk about how how you're measuring success and how do you know you're on the right track. Yes. Yeah, so um, a similar comment. So. The, the first and more traditional way is looking at um, our, our, the impact of addressing um, our programs, you know, based on um, avoidable hospitalizations and ER visits. And, you know, we have made significant impacts on that. We also, um, like UPMC, have a very good star rating, which is a standard metric of overall quality. We're at four and a half stars, which is very good for our population out of five. Um, but then also, um, like UPMC, we, we look at customer satisfaction and our uh, satisfaction scores, both, both in terms of serving uh, individuals as well as our provider network, as well as our, the industry-wide metric of, uh, of customer satisfaction our scores are very high as well. Right. And so all of those uh, indicate that we're doing uh, a good job of outreach. We're reaching people. We're, we're meeting their needs. And we're also making a difference in terms of health care. Great. So we do have a call. I think we have this person on the line now, Chad from New Jersey. Are you there, Chad? Yes, yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Great, great, uh, great show. And uh, just a question. There seems to be an awful lot of labor involved uh, from a lot of parts of a lot of different folks, um, making sure that uh, these folks in their home um, have a good experience. Could, could you just uh, spend a minute and talk about the tools that the case user, uh, the case managers, and others use with the with the consumers to, to kind of help them do their job, and whether you see these tools, uh, you know, evolving and changing, and having some impact on how they do their jobs, and in some cases maybe even replace them. And are they consumer-facing at all? What's the interaction that maybe um, <clears throat> some of the people that are being cared for have with with technology uh, as it moves along? Yeah. I'd love to hear your answers. Yeah, so, so John, you want to start with that? 
Um, sure. We have, we have a, a series of tools we use um, clinically. We try to have everyone who enrolls uh, complete a health risk assessment, which is a standardized instrument that we have developed with some consultation for enrollees, which is done at enrollment and then at least at every year, at least a year uh, interval. If there are changes in person's condition, we do it more often. So that's, sort of, that's really an assessment of how do you feel about your something? How do you feel about your health? Do you have trouble ambulating and so forth? Um, that's, that's one standard measure. We have a lot of data analytics that we use to comb through medical records to help care managers identify people who have risk factors that perhaps we wouldn't otherwise see. Like someone's had three ER visits in the last month or they've stopped taking their medicine or they've started two medicines that conflict. These that come from the clinical data. And then in, the, in home services and nursing facility services, we use a, a very detailed, Pennsylvania requires we do actually, a very detailed functional assessment that's done in the home with the person and their family if they have one around practical daily living activities. Do you need help going to the bathroom? Or do you have trouble with incontinence? What would you like help with? It kind of some closed-ended questions, like yes, no's, and then some what do you need to help you with? And those that's compiled, and all those things are compiled into various sorts of treatment plans. Okay. So we have about uh, th- about one minute left, Kevin, if you can answer that question, and then we're going to have to go to a break, uh, unfortunately. So please go. Yeah, so let me cover the second half of the question, which is um, we we do use a similar process to what John described. And so um, let me ask the, answer the second half, which is could, could some of these tools be used by the consumer? Uh, I would say uh, yes, and um, given the uh, physical and mental limitations of many of our population, uh, that would be the major challenge to having the consumers uh, use many of the tools that, um, at least in, in the population that we serve, um, many of them have functional limitations that, that would prevent um, you know, them from actually filling out the tool themselves. Uh, some of them do have caregivers who can fill out the tools, but but you know, in at least in uh, the population care Wisconsin serves, I would say about 80% would have some limitation that would prevent them from filling out the tools accurately. Right. So we're unfortunately, uh, Chad. By the way, thanks for the question. We're unfortunately going to have to end the show, and I wanted to thank our guests today. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 